I want to start our time talking about the time I went to the Corvette Museum in Bowling Green, Kentucky. A few years ago, I, uh, I was living in Kentucky and, uh, and I went to this Corvette Museum because uh, I was tagging along with somebody else who was really into cars. I'm not a big car guy, but I said, you know what? Sure, I'll go to the Corvette Museum. So we, we go to the Corvette Museum and I don't know if you know, but in the news many, I mean, not many years ago, maybe five, six years ago, there was a sinkhole that uh, like appeared right smack dab in the middle of this Corvette Museum in Bowling Green, Kentucky, and it sucked in a lot of these shiny, fancy cars. So I go, and they have turned that sinkhole into basically an exhibit <laughs> at the Corvette Museum, showing off some cars they rebuilt and some cars they didn't. Right, And so they would show, all right, here's the cars that we rebuilt, but if you want to look, there's this little window that you can peer into and see all the cars we didn't rebuild. They're still down there in the pit. And the way they measured whether or not they, was gonna, they were going to rebuild it was if it was 51% intact, they were going to rebuild it. But anything less than that, they were going to leave it in the pit as a spectacle <laughs> and sell tickets to it. So the question I want to pose to you is will we have what it takes to be rebuilt or will we remain in the pit as a spectacle what not to be? Fortunately, Paul has a plan for us to initiate a humble build from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn in them to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. That's where we're going to spend our time this evening. To give you some context, the Apostle Paul writes a letter of reproof to the church in Corinth. And he's appealing to them to pursue gospel unity amidst some deep divisions that are going on in the church there uh, based out of basically these teaching personalities, Paul being one of them. And he esteems to them the wisdom of God over and above any wisdom of man. In fact, he revealed, as we saw last week, the kind of the behind-the-scenes working of the Holy Spirit to make what seems foolish to this world actually be seen as the wisdom and power of God so as to save and mature believers. He then moves on to this discussion of divisions to help the Corinthians apply the doctrine he has just shared with them. And that's when we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to read the entire chapter, verses 1 through 23 together. Here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, God's word says this. But I, brothers could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? 
servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else building is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, and they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Paulus or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Let's pray. Lord God, would you teach us? God, humble us. Spirit, move in this room that we would rightly understand and interpret the scripture and apply it to our lives. That, God, we would build our lives upon the firm foundation of Jesus and see where that takes us. See what you provide through that endeavor. God bless this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, tonight's sermon title is The Humble Build. The Humble Build. Uh, looking at just kind of the broad context of this chapter, Paul's going after the arrogance of the Corinthians. And he brings it back to a place of humility. So I want to give you four designs for the humble build. Four designs for the humble build. These are four designs to build your way to spiritual maturity. The first, the humble build disregards other builds. The humble build disregards other builds. Look again at verses 1 through 4 with me. But I, Paul, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh. Right, well, that sounds familiar. 
what he said last week in verse 14 of chapter 2. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. He's saying, Corinthians, I couldn't address you as spiritual people because you're all acting like the natural person. As infants, he calls them. Bunch of babies. <laughs> infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And he says, even now you're not ready for it. For you are still of the flesh. Okay, but we need to, we need to remember. What did he say at the very beginning of this letter? Chapter 1, verse 2. What does he call the church in Corinth? To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified, set apart, made holy in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who are in every place, call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's writing to believers. He's writing a letter to believers who have received Jesus Christ as their Lord, who have called on his name to save them from their sins. And yet he says in this letter of reproof, you're acting like you're of the flesh. You're acting like the natural person. How does he know? How can, how can he tell? Right? He's in Ephesus. He's writing to the church in Corinth. They've only given him reports of it. What are the reports of? He says, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Let's pause here. Is there any jealousy in your life? Is there any strife between you and someone else? The humble build disregards other builds. It's not focused on others. It's focused on the humble build itself. Paul insinuates that the Corinthians are immature in their walk with Christ. The teaching that Paul supplied them with was very basic. He calls it milk. And yet they can barely understand that. They can't handle solid food. Even now, the Corinthians are thinking like the natural person who does not accept the things of the Spirit. They are still of the flesh. And how is their fleshliness apparent to them? Jealousy and strife. As we look to humble ourselves, to build a life towards spiritual maturity, we have to disregard other builds. We can't be jealous. We can't be striving for more. We cannot look at what other people have and desire it for ourselves. Those who are building towards spiritual maturity, they stay focused on their build, their humble build. A humble build. They don't get swept up in the comparison game. How many times have you heard Comparison is the thief of joy. That's not me. That's, that, that's everywhere, right? We see that now. Which is why we look at social media and see it is dangerous, right? Because we're comparing our life with everybody's highlight reel. Right? We know it's dangerous. We watch the documentary on Netflix, The Social Dilemma, and we say, yeah, that sounds about right. Right? We hear the whistleblower from Facebook saying, hey, yeah, it's harmful, and the company even knows it. Right? Did you see that that came out? They've known their, their platform is harmful towards young adults, specifically teenage girls, but definitely not confined to just them. And yet they give minimal effort to curb the destructive spiral their users are in in favor of profit. 
They get rich making you miserable with your own feed filled with other people's successes. Comparison is the thief of joy. The humble build has to disregard other builds. Focus what the Lord is doing in your life. And it makes you consider deleting everything, doesn't it? Uh, some of you were on our summer retreat uh, back in July when we went to just outside Nashville. And I shared with you a time in my life where my social media use was running amok and it did nothing but send me into a season of unchecked anxiety to the point where I was trying to discern, am I going to answer this call to ministry and go in person to pursue my seminary education? And so it got to be about March of 2017 where I said, I've got to hear from God on this. If I'm going to leave my hometown of Memphis, Tennessee and go live somewhere else, I've got to hear from God on this. So I deleted everything, not deactivated. I deleted everything. Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter. Because I had to hear from God. I needed to get out of that spiral that was sending me downward. And I, I, everything stayed deleted for 18 months. When I got back on Instagram, and then later on when I'm pastoring and we're sent into a pandemic and all our people are just online and nothing's in person, yeah, I got back on Facebook. Twitter, gone. Snapchat, gone. It's to this day because they're cesspools. <laughs> and the others can be too. But so much as it's up to us, as we have a Bellevue Young Adults account, we're going to leverage it to resource our people well and to reflect the actual gatherings that we have, the fellowship that we have, because we know that those things can be leveraged for good. And you have to discern what's that going to look like for you. Is this a season where you need to delete? Or is this a season where you need to leverage? You got to leave it up to your conscience what you're going to do with what we're finding out about the dangers of this social media. But I'll tell you, if it leads you into this comparison game, that's unhealthy. And you need to have somebody hold you accountable to that. Because our humble build has to disregard other builds doesn't matter how long you've been walking with the Lord, you're liable of getting jealous of others and striving for the wrong things of this world. It's possible. We see it. It's possible to call yourself a Christian and yet live a life in the flesh. By Paul's assessment, you haven't made it past the first rung of the ladder that is your Christian walk. You're an infant, a baby who wants what the big kids are playing with. By God's grace, stay focused on your build, a humble build. Second, the humble build respects the greater vision. The humble build respects the greater vision. We get this from verses 5 through 9. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Notice he says what and not who. What is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned. I, Paul, planted. Apollos, water. These are two 
sound teachers of the word who came into Corinth. Paul at one point, and then he leaves, and then Apollos comes in, and he builds upon what Paul has done. But what does Paul do? He gives credit to God. But God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. They're nothing. But only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters, they're one. And each one will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. You, Corinthians, you, church in Corinth, are God's field, God's building. Paul and Apollos were mere servants. They're vessels used by God for particular tasks, gifted in certain ways, and all the results, they rest with God. It's not what they do. It's what God uses them to do. So what is Paul? What is Apollos? (laughs) Not who, right? What? Paul says that they are next to nothing, just fellow workers. Do you view yourself with such humility? Or do you think you are God's gift to this world? In whatever manner that may be. That's not how Paul viewed himself. He said, me and Apollos, yeah, we're sharing the gospel. Yeah, we're planting church, we're raising up leaders, but we're next to nothing. It's God that gives the growth. This is all by God's grace. So what does that make the Corinthians? They're a field, right? They're a a building. They are the ones being built into something. And this is the passive part of the construction. This is a passive aspect. This is where we get the humbling nature to this text. Yes, we need to humble ourselves and be built or do some building, but we, we are the ones being built into something. It's a humbling thing. We construct a humble build with the understanding that we are not the foreman. We are actually what is being constructed. And I say we because it's bigger and grander than us as individuals, right? Paul says you as in the second person, plural you what we as Southerners call y'all, right? Y'all. I remember teaching Jason that in Charlotte. Y'all, along with some other Southern sayings. You should ask him sometime. It's funny. Y'all are God's field. Y'all are God's building. We are humbled by the truth that we are the ones being built. We submit our own personal humble build project to the greater vision of what God is doing in us a neighborhood of humble builds that make up his ever-advancing kingdom. And this is why we had uh, Caitlin read 1 Peter 2, 1 through 10, right? Because that's the apostle Peter using the same metaphor for the same group of people, God's people. Look how similar Peter's words are to Paul. He says, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy. Very similar to the Corinthians and their jealousy problem. And all slander, like newborn infants. (laughs) What did Paul call them? Babies. Yeah, long for pure spiritual milk. That by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. 
As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, the people of God, like living stones are being built up into a spiritual house. Do you see the metaphor? To a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. There you see Peter almost saying exactly what Paul is saying. Both are inspired by the Holy Spirit to write exactly what they wrote, and they convey some of the same things. This brings us to the third design for the humble build. Third, the humble build requires a firm foundation. The humble build requires a firm foundation. Verses 10 through 17. According to the grace of God given to me. Let's not blow past that. This is all by God's grace. If you hear this as a pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get your life together, that's not what this sermon is. It's all about God's grace. His free gift to you in Jesus Christ. And that's the firm foundation Paul's going to esteem to us. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else built upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. There is no other foundation. It is Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day, capital D, day, will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are, again, that's second person plural, you, you, y'all, are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Paul admonishes those who build God's building that it be done entirely upon the foundation of the saving work of Jesus Christ. right? What Paul calls earlier in 1 Corinthians, Christ crucified, or the cross of Christ. right? That's his summation of the gospel. right? That Jesus lived the life we could not live and died the death we deserved on the cross. And that three days later, he rose from the grave to defeat sin, hell, and the grave. That's the gospel. And Paul is saying there is no other foundation than that saving work. And he does so while conveying the underlying truth. The building will be tested. Because the day draws close. Capital D, day. The day will disclose it. This is the day of judgment. The day that Christ will judge the living and the dead. He will judge every action and inaction. He will judge every desire 
and emotion. He will judge every thought that you've ever had. Are you prepared for that day? I'll let you in on my view of this. That James tells us not all of you should become teachers, my brothers, because you'll be judged with a higher standard. That I, as pastor, will be judged with a higher standard than you because of where I stand and what I preach. And that Hebrews even says, Hebrews 13 says, Obey your spiritual leaders, for they will have to give an account for your soul. If I'm just being honest, those verses scared the daylights out of me. Because I know where I've let some of my sheep down. And there will come a day where Jesus looks at me in the eyes and he says, Hey, did you do everything you could for Jeremy Meister? Did you help him through that trial? Did you pray for David Jacobs when he asked you to pray? That's just my role as a pastor. And I'm letting you in on it. So what does that mean for you? That you'll be judged. It should scare us a little bit. There should be a little bit of fear that this is actually what the Bible gets to when it talks about the fear of God because we fear what He's capable of. That there are people who say, only God can judge me. And that, that statement is scary because there's a way in which they're right. And that should terrify us. Remember what Paul wrote to the church in Corinth with the hope that they would have for them that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, he says that our Lord Jesus will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's his hope. That our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who's laid the foundation for our lives, would sustain us to the day of judgment and that we would be found guiltless on that day only by God's grace that we would not be met with the fires of eternal judgment but the fires of a testing that shows the acts that we had in obedience and faith as Christ called us into it that some things will withstand the test that will withstand the flames. And that even Scripture says we will be rewarded for it. But there will be some. Everything is wiped out. And that there is some saving grace that if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Right? There's some who you've probably even heard, I, I just want to get through the door in heaven, right? I just want to be in it. I don't care what I have, what reward, where my house is. I just want to be in through the gates. And Jesus calls us into so much more. Right? There is a way in which the first shall be last and the last shall be first. But there is also a promise of a reward that if we, in faith or obedience to what Jesus calls us to, we will be richly rewarded 
and the new heavens and the new earth. I think some of that is what we leverage on this earth in terms of our relationships, that we will have greater eternal relationships with people we have seen one to saving faith in the Lord and have them for all eternity. I also think that's a, a greater capacity to enjoy our God eternally. That there's some things that can't be measured in human measurements. We will be rewarded. On the flip side of that, we are warned. There are many things that will be burned up. So Paul is communicating to us as believers that one day the structure, the makeup of our lives will be exposed, laid bare. Right? He says, it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. What will that day be like for you? We must, therefore, start with the foundation. If we have a foundation in anything other than the saving work of Jesus Christ, the building will be destroyed. And isn't that awfully close to what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? Right, The last chapter uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, this is Jesus talking, that person will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Isn't that what we're all after? Stability of some kind? In the, in the navigating in the world of chaos, we just want some sort of stability. In fact, we saw that even in, in our, la- our series on Ruth back in April. Right? What's the thing that Naomi wants desperately for Ruth? She says, I pray that you would find rest in the home of your husband. And God answers that prayer with Boaz. And that's, that's the story of Ruth. And it's a beautiful story about how God answers the prayer of Naomi among others, even though Naomi didn't deserve it, right? She abandoned God's will and yet came back to the Lord and actually wanted some good for her daughter-in-law. Jesus goes on, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, not the rock, the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. That's Jesus' warning. That if we don't build our lives on his saving work, on his teaching, on his way of us to live in this earth for his kingdom, our lives will be destroyed. We as individuals build our lives upon the firm foundation of who Jesus is and what he's done to save us from our sins. And when we do that, we form a greater building. God's temple, Paul calls it. We are collectively God's temple. And the Holy Spirit dwells within us. Right? We looked at the Holy Spirit last week, looking at the third person of the Trinity, and how he moves. He dwells in us, his gathered people, the church. Paul warns that if anyone works to build God's temple on anything other than the foundation of Christ, 
That man actually works to destroy God's temple. And worse, God works to destroy that man. So be careful when you give counsel to people because you're actually part of that building, the building of the church. Be careful what advice you give. Be careful what you post on social media if you're using it. Be careful what you even devote yourself to. There were some in Corinth who became so puffed up by their own wisdom that they were possibly unintentionally working to destroy the gathering of God's people. May have said something like this, if we really want to win the people of Corinth, we need to use the language and the rhetoric of the philosophers to do it. How do we translate that to modern day? Man, if the young adults ministry wanted to win more young adults, they should focus on more fun outreach events, giveaways, topical sermons. Not that there's anything wrong with those. But they make for a very poor foundation, don't they? You make those gimmicks your foundation, you don't have a ministry of the word. You have a a flash in the pan. That's not what I want. I want to see a movement of God. Don't you? Paul's word of advice to those who want to invest in the wisdom of man to grow God's church is that they they should become fools in order to be truly wise. He warns repeatedly that God will catch the crafty, won't He? He'll destroy the wise, won't He? Because the wise, their wisdom is futile. God calls us to be different which is our fourth design for the humble build. The humble build is recognizably different. The humble build is recognizably different. We see that in verses 18 through 23. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ and Christ is God's. I love that. He says to the Corinthians, all things are yours. After we've constructed this humble build, it leads to maturity that increasingly sees things as they actually are. In other words, the view from the top of the humble build is really nice. You've probably been to the Bass Pro Pyramid. Evidently, it's a great place to go celebrate your six-month dating anniversary. I found that out recently from some of our young adults. Um, I remember being in it when it was called the Tomb of Doom as a little kid and looking up and saying, man, I bet the view would be really cool up there. There was no shot of going up there. But man, I was like, man, a little kid can dream. That'd be really cool to go to the top. And I'm a full grown adult. And here I am walking. I paid 20 bucks to ride this elevator, go see this view. But the view's nice, isn't it? It's nice. Maybe you aspire to see things as they rightly are. Maybe you don't know who you are, but you really want to. 
right, in this quest to figure out your identity, the foremost identity that you have is a child of God. And maybe some of you haven't really tapped into what, it, what does that mean? What does that mean for me? To be a child of God, to have victory in who Christ is and what he's done for me. Maybe you struggle to see the value of others, that you would much rather get into an argument on social media than sit across from somebody and have a dialogue that's really nuanced as they hear the tone of your voice and watch you filter your word choice in real time. And as you see them as someone who bears the image of God, that they have inherent worth in and of themselves. Maybe you're a slave thing to inanimate objects. Maybe you'd be really embarrassed to show your screen time. Maybe you're a big text puppet thing. They've got you by the algorithm and they won't let go because that's the thing you worship. Maybe you haven't scratched the surface of your Bible to see who God is as he's revealed himself and his word. All of those begin with the humble build. The humble build that disregards other builds. The humble build that has a firm foundation in Jesus Christ. So with the humble build, we can have confidence in what is being built because we are given a proper view from the top. A proper view of ourselves, that we are redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, that we are co-heirs with Christ, that we are in Christ, and that means riches of an inheritance, not of this world. But that's who we are that we have a proper view of others, that they are image bearers, that they bear the imago day, and they have value that we can show them, that we have a proper view of objects, that they are things not to be idolized, things to be used for ministry purposes, and a proper view of our God. Right? Just like we looked at last week at the rich doctrine of who God is in the Trinity, right? One in essence, three in person. We even sing about it. Tonight, I love it. We learn more about who God is and we learn more about who he created us to be, who he's redeemed us to be, who he's making us more like, and that's Jesus. So our, our main point is this. We must work to humble ourselves for the sake of our own spiritual maturity. We must work to humble ourselves for the sake of our own spiritual maturity maturity. There are ways in which you will be humbled. Life throws you into it, right? And it's all part of God's sovereign plan to more, make you more like Jesus. But is he dragging you, kicking and screaming? Or do you take moment by moment through that trial and you process it in light of who God is and what he's done for you in Jesus? Because that's what it means to build humbly, And it's all for the sake of your own spiritual maturity. Right? You want to grow in Christ? This is the way to do it. 
tell you, that's one of the ways that we want to equip and send our young adults is into a calling of spiritual maturity, that we are all being formed more into the image of Jesus Christ. And so that's, that's what, if, if there's anything I desire for you as your pastor, it's that you would grow in spiritual maturity. And here's your way to do it. Humble yourselves. Do the work of humbling yourselves for the sake of your own spiritual maturity.